This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 166 Inch. On this episode, it's part one of our interview with the writer and director of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, Eric Appel. Plus, John Bermuda Schwartz joins us to talk about his just announced new book. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al it's a podcast about Weird Al. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Well, Ethan, we are back, and wow, what a big news week last week was. Jeez, you're right. Of all the weeks for us to take off, although all the news dropped after our episode would have already aired, but eh, that's besides the point. Well, before we get to the exciting news and our amazing guests this episode, we have to briefly talk about where we just came back from. Yes, it was both of our first times ever in the great state of Minnesota. Yeah, and not only did we visit the great state of Minnesota, we visited... The Mall of America! Yes, we did visit the Mall of America, but we were super, super excited to finally go to... The Conference Room at the Ramada Inn! Well, I mean, it wasn't that exciting. It was a weird conference room, though. But what I'm trying to say is, we... Ate at the Bubba Gump Restaurant! Oh, that's also correct. But I really want to mention the very exciting... Brand new Dave and Ethan wooden nickels we had made. Well, they are very exciting. But remember, it is also... Your birthday weekend, Dave! I could never forget. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, we wish you a very happy belated birthday. Wow, thank you everyone at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. I really appreciate that. And of course, you know, on my birthday weekend, we went to... Not one, but two Weird Al concerts! Oh, gosh darn it, Ethan. All I'm trying to say is, we went to Darwin, Minnesota, and finally visited... The, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota! 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 Well, it was pretty stinking majestic, but do not take our words for it. Take it from an unbiased source such as Discover Darwin. This episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota uh, beautiful, it's also pretty stinking majestic. All right, Ethan, now that we actually went to Darwin, Minnesota, we can finally visit discoverdarwin.biz. Oh, boy, you're right, Dave. How could I have forgotten? All righty, all righty, let's do it. Shall I do the honors? Please, Ethan, I would be honored if you did the honors. Then I shall honorably. Okay, D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-D-A-R-W-I-N-D-O-T-B-I-Z. Wait, 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 wait. What? You spelled out the word dot? You're just supposed to put a dot. Oh, you're right. Okay, I'll start over. Uh, delete, delete, delete. Okay. D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-D-A-R-W-I-N dot B-I-Z. Uh, nothing's happening? I didn't push enter. Well, what are you waiting for? E-N-T-E-R. No, the button marked enter. Oh, right. Okay. Wait, nothing is happening? Did you type out enter? No! Did you add the www? Oops, no, let me just 
www. Don't type out the word dot. I know how the internet works. All right, now hit enter. Who made you the boss? Okay. Um. Yeah. Hmm. Are you sure we actually went to Darwin, Minnesota? So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to attempt to visit discoverdarwin.biz. All right, let's move on to what's happening in Weird Al-related news. On Wednesday, July 27th, the big news broke that Weird, the Al Yankovic story, will be headed to the Roku channel on Friday, November 4th. And if for some reason you've been living under a rock for the past several months and David Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast episode 166 inch is the first thing that you've chosen to listen to, Weird the Al Yankovic story is the biopic starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al as written and directed by this episode's guest, Eric Appel. Along with the big announcement, the poster for the biopic was also released. So if you haven't seen it yet, head over to WeirdAl.com or Weird Al's social media and check it out for yourself. And while you are there, be sure to check out that pretty stinking majestic teaser trailer. Ooh, I hope you remember to ask Eric about that. There's one very quick shot in particular that's been getting a lot of buzz around here I'd love to hear all about. And speaking of the new movie fans who attended the July 22nd concert in Lincoln, Nebraska, got a really special treat. That's right, and without spoiling anything, we learned that Weird Al needed some additional audio for the movie, so he asked the audience to participate. How pretty stinking majestic for everyone that was there. And to think, Dave, we were at the very next show, so we only missed being in the movie by one day! I am so, so very jealous of everyone who was there. Me too! I would love to be in a Weird Al movie, or the trailer, or the teaser trailer, or even the credits! Sheesh! <sighs> Maybe someday. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dave. I-, I really have high hopes for the next one. Let's hope he really does follow through on his promise to do a movie every 33 years. In other news, John Bermuda Schwartz has announced his long-awaited second book, Lights, Camera, Accordion, eye-popping photographs of Weird Al Yankovic, 1981 through 2006, which will be released November 15th, 2022. And we have Bermuda right here to tell us all about it. Hey, Bermuda, how you doing? Hey, guys. Oh, good to be here. I'm doing fine. We are so thrilled to hear about Lights, Camera, Accordion, and... You know, it's not just you went through and got colored pencils and colored these in. These are actual color photos this time. These are these are real stinking color <laughs> film, thirty-five millimeter <laughs> Kodak and, and Agfa and other. Yeah, these are these are uh, uh, a bunch of my uh, color film photos, and I shot film on Al. Well, that's all I had for a long time. Uh, but this this covers uh, from nineteen eighty one, from the very first photo I shot of Al through 2006, which is the very last film photo I shot of Al, and those are both in the book. Wow. And uh, about about 300 in between the two. Oh, cool. 300 sounds like a lot more than the last book. It's about 50% more. Uh, wow. I think I think the black and white and weird all over had like 203 photos, and this book's got like 301 or something, plus a couple of extra wow. things that are in the, the uh, introduction. And there's some extra photos that don't count in the 301, but... Uh, you know, th- those are in the chapters. So it's 50% more, and they've somehow managed to keep the price pretty close to the original. The black and white and weird all over listed for $35. 
Lights, Camera, Accordion will be $40. Of course, Amazon and a bunch of other places will be discounting it. Right. So the new book is $40, and that is such a steal because it does have, like you said, 50% more photos. Besides the 300 color photos of Al and, and the band and other colleagues you've met you know, throughout the years from 1981 to 2006, it has a foreword by Drew Carey and kind words by Emo Phillips and an afterword by Al. Can you tell us about that? Oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you, it was a real treat getting Drew. I mean, Drew and Al are friends, of course. And uh, Drew wrote a very funny foreword. And uh, Emo wrote some very nice words. Uh, uh, you know, on the back of the first book, uh, Dr. Demento had a couple of sentences, which was really cool and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and not that I don't love, you know, Dr. Demento, and not that I wouldn't have liked Al to write the foreword again. It just seemed a little obvious to do that. And I wanted to go a little bit of a different direction on it. And, and there's a lot of great people that could say a lot of things about Al. And, and I was looking for that too. So Drew Carey was a really good fit. Uh, he wrote something very, very funny. I can't tell you what it is yet, but it's, it's really, it's really good. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Emo's words were really, really good. Very, very, uh, you know, when Emo does his, his comedy, you know, it's, it's really, you really have to think about it, you know, and sometimes, and people laugh a little bit and then about 10 seconds later it sinks in and then you laugh some more. Well, he wrote, right. <laughs> he wrote sort of a, a cool thing like that. Like you read it and it's like, this, this is, it's not gobbledygook, but but you read it and, it and it just sort of, it takes a few seconds to hit you. It's like, wow, that's like really cool. That was really kind of <laughs> profound, you know, a very, very, very nice thing to say, which is very, very kind to him. And uh, we got Al, Al found out that Drew wrote the foreword and uh, he wanted to get in on it somehow. So he, uh, <laughs> he, he wrote an afterword <laughs> referencing the foreword a little bit and I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> but, but yeah, he did. He did not get asked to write the foreword again, and uh, he had something to say about that. Anyway, <laughs> and and we and we put it and we put it in the book. So there you go. <laughs> well, I don't want to be too spoilery here, but I, I am curious: Do Drew Carey and Emo Phillips show up in the book? Uh, they do, and act, you know what? They show up in the same place. How funny! I just realized that uh, they oh, both cool. show up <laughs> in the chapter that has the Pentiums video. Right, and of course, oh, emo yeah. and, and uh, Drew, Drew was in there. You, and unless you know, you know, you might not recognize emo with the short but haircut. He's the kind of yeah, yeah, with the short hair and the glasses, and yeah, and it all—it almost doesn't look like him at all. But it's most certainly him. And uh, so, yeah, they both uh, interesting. They both appear in the same place, like within a day of each other in that book. <laughs> mm. How awesome. Obviously, I guess there's going to be a chapter about it's all the Pentiums. I've got to imagine that uh, several other music videos are probably covered in here. Can you give us just an overview of what this book covers? I mean, there's a lot that goes on between 1981 through 2006. What are some highlights? A number of the videos are covered, and, and some of them are not. I mean, it just kind of depends. I mean, obviously, the first book covered Ricky, I Love Rocky Road, Eat It, mm-hmm. uh, Living with a Hernia. And there's a little bit of Ricky and I Love Rocky Road and, and Eat It in this book, you know, alternate color photos. I was carrying around two cameras at the time. Right. And I just, uh, you know, I, I would take some pictures with the one and then I would put the other one up to my and take pictures with that. So I have very similar, although obviously not exact, photos that are both black and white and in color of the same kind of scenes. And I tried to avoid doing too much of that. Oh, here's the color version of that black and white shot. And now I provide alternate alternate color versions, but there were some videos where I didn't shoot uh, I didn't shoot color for living with a hernia for example so those black and white photos in the first book are the only ones that exist hmm. that I took I'm not aware of anyone else that took pictures 
uh, on set. We just we didn't have a set photographer back in those days, so because they just let me bring my camera down, shoot my film, and they were happy to to go with that. I was happy to do it. Uh, but I have uh, uh, I have uh, and and a lot of these photos honestly have been seen before. Uh, they have not been seen in this kind of quality. I mean, these were all taken from the negatives and right. uh, nicely retouched, and they are crisp. And they are the density is beautiful on them, and the color is beautiful. And I mean, really, scanning prints in the past for for the web was fine, but you couldn't make a book out of it. And and I love the book that's in the squeeze box box set. But you know what? The photos that appear in there that now appear in my book, much better in my book. They're oh, sure. really well. They're from the source. I mean, they're just really they're that good. So the photos, for example, from uh, Bedrock Anthem video, which was interestingly was a, a video. Uh, that, that appeared in black and white. Uh, well, I have color photos of that. So that's that's a pretty good... Where, whereas Living with a Hernia was a video that appeared in color, and I have black and white photos. So <laughs> but but there's a number of videos, and there's a couple of photos from This is the Life. Uh, there's a couple of photos from Headline News. Um, again, the, the photos range through 2006, and they don't even get into the 2006 tour because they literally get... The, the book ends with... Uh, my shots of the photo session for Straight Outta Linwood, uh, oh. the the cover and, and some of the interior shots. Oh, very cool. So this is before that album was out or that tour happened or those videos were done. Uh, so it, it lets off, really it kind of leaves off at like 2003, 2004. And uh, mm. that's sort of, so for example, I think, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what was happening in, in that era. Uh, 2003, I have shots from... Uh, uh, the poodle hat cover photo session. Oh wow! Um, Very cool. Uh, you know, in, in that fake subway car they had, <laughs> and and the other cool thing now now and, and also the book from start to finish is chapterized pretty much by album uh, uh, or era. So although the first chapter starts in 1981 and there wasn't an album yet in 1981, that's one of the exceptions where it starts a little before, but it goes through the first album. Second chapter starts within 3D. Third chapter starts with uh, Dare to be Stupid, et cetera, et cetera, and, okay. and down the line. Through through straight out of Linwood, but literally it cuts off at that photo shoot for, uh, for the booklet, and that's the last film I ever shot on Al. Wow. Um, you know, at some later time, maybe... Other shots uh, that I shot digitally could show up. And there was a lot of overlap with my digital shooting, too. I started shooting digital, like, in mid-1997, I guess. But I knew the quality wasn't there to do much with. Um, and, the, and, and I continued to use film for almost another 10 years because the quality of at least the digital cameras I was buying you know, really didn't rival film until much later. And at that point, I, I gladly let go of the film, uh, embraced digital 100%. And, uh, you know, that's been, uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, it's a superior format. But there's a certain texture. There's a certain vibe. There were things that happened prior to the digital age that, that exist in this book. You know, and I'm glad I shot those on film. I'm, I'm glad I was able to preserve those. And that I kept the film safe and dry and, uh, you know, in sleeves, in the proper kinds of sleeves. So mm, nothing yeah. got stuck together. There was very little discoloration. And we were able to... Uh, deal with the discoloration somewhat uh, the the uh, you know as, as good as we could the film had some of the film uh, had yellowed meaning I don't know what color it actually was but by the time I had a positive of the image uh, it had a yellow cast throughout a lot of it and uh, I was able to you know I, I converted it to a four color so I could deal with the yellow channel 
And I was able to deal the yellow with that, get the yellow out, put it back to a three channel, uh, red, green, blue, and, and, and restore, you know, the, it didn't affect the color too badly, uh, but it certainly looked better than just taking it straight off the negative without correcting it. So there are photos that, that uh, and, and I would say 90% of the film survived and it was great. Uh, but but ten percent of it, I had a little bit to deal with, and and we made it work. Uh, we made it work very well, I think. But the the quality on these is is really really good, and that's the difference. So there are a lot of photos that have been seen, but they haven't been seen like this. I'm so excited about it. But the the big question I have is, you only appear in the first book a couple times. Do pictures of you show up in this new book? Yeah, there was no way to avoid that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I and I explained and you know what I uh, well I mean you know there there's as I did with the you know some of the pictures in the first book uh, the pictures of me were taken by Musical Mike by Mike Kiefer right and I know that Very cool because he's he's the only guy who uh, uh, I would have trusted to hold my camera and he's also the only guy who confessed that yeah it was probably him everyone else denied <laughs> it so we we and and furthermore there are no pictures of he and I together. So okay. that, that sort of tends to suggest that, you know, if there's a picture of me, he took it. Uh, there are many more pictures of me in this book. And with very few exceptions, I know who took all of them. I mean, I know who took these impossible photos of me on stage uh, at Jonathan Swift's in Boston in 1984 or 83. I mean, I just, I remember these people because I, I always had a picture of me with them at the end of the show mm. on my roll of film. Okay. Uh, so, so they all got credit. They all got mentioned in, in the thank yous. Uh, some of them have passed on. They got mentioned anyway. Uh, and then the only other exception was that when we were on tour, you know, and there were a couple of people I would have trusted in the in the crew to take pictures of, you know, band shots and stuff. And I pretty much know who they were, but I didn't want to omit anybody. So I did sort of a blanket thank you to all of the members of uh, of the crew oh, uh, who cool. toured with us from. Uh, 83 through, and I, I think I said through 2004, because uh, that mm. was the last time we had actually been on the road for the photos that are in the book. Um, but every everyone who was involved in any way got a thank you. And so I, you know, in, in those instances, and I think I, I said something like, you know, uh, thanks to the people who, you know, took pictures of me because my arms were too short to hold the camera or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but you know what? I'm glad they did. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to have just pictures of it because there are other pictures in there that involve the guys you know al and the rest of the band that i'm in and i wouldn't want to omit those just because i'm in them because the picture is too good <laughs> and that's what i thought what well no I, I didn't mean it's a good picture of me i mean it's it's a good picture of the group or it's a good picture of al or so you know there's there's a good reason to have it in there rather than to take it out just so i could claim you know i took every photo in the book you know that it was more important to show the photos that came from my camera and uh you know, so so that's why. So I do I do thank everybody for that, and uh, you know, and and that's it. And I and I think it makes it a better book. I mean, I, there are certainly enough photos to do nothing but photos of Al, uh, but there's there's more to Al than Al. You know, there's there's more to his career than just him. You know, in a lot of the fans' eyes. You know, and, and we're a part of that. We're very happily a part of that. And, you know, we deserve to be in some pictures too. So, <laughs> well, Dave and I know that more than anyone we you know we're, we're obviously on team seeing bermuda and the rest of the band so we're happy to hear that, that well, yeah, like, you, in there. Like, you, like you guys yeah that's, that's 
This past Monday, August 1st, Ethan and I were actively refreshing 1984publishing.com because you also, besides putting out you know the standard version of this book, you put out a limited edition deluxe box set. So can you tell us about what went into that box set? Ooh. Yeah, this this time uh, with, with Black and White and Weird all over, we did 250 uh, box sets and those sold out like in two hours. Okay, two hours and ten minutes. Anyway, uh, those went very quickly, and, and so we discussed this time. We said, "Well, let's let's put out a few more." You know, there's obviously enough demand, uh, so they're doing. Uh, they did 350 boxes, and in the box there are a dozen nine by twelve prints, as there were in the black and white book. But these, of course, are color prints selected from the book. Uh, there's a set of, I think, five or six postcards, which five by seven postcards, which are pretty cool. And should you want to mail them, they actually have the address lines and stuff on the back of the little square <laughs> for the stamp. Cool. It's actually, it's like a real postcard. Wow. Um, there's a there's a cool, like a film strip, a 35 millimeter film strip, and they've laminated it so it doesn't get beat up. But it's, a, it's an actual 35 millimeter film strip with, I think it's like eight frames from the uh, Bob video, not the video, but from the, the video shoot, pictures right. that I took. And there's some pictures in that strip that actually don't appear in the book. Oh, cool! Um, and that and that serves as a bookmark, but it's also kind of a cool little thing to have. Uh, so already there's like a couple of extra things that didn't appear in the black and white and weird all over box set. Uh, there's also uh, we wanted to include some other like really cool things from way back, some something that would look nice on a sheet. So what we did was uh, I had a copy of the set list. Uh, Al's handwritten set list from that show we opened for Missing Persons, April 9th, 1982. Uh, It's got some, and on the back of the the reproduction of that sheet, it's got uh, a couple of paragraphs I wrote, like I had to explain, you know, it says food medley and and some other thing, the polka medley. And, you know, again, this was was, uh, literally, well, this was before we recorded any polka medleys, but this was just as we were finishing recording the first album, and it was still a year from coming out. So... You know, to see something like food medley at the time, you know, and polka medley at the time really was was a different, you know, there was no polka medley to compare it to. So I had to explain it and what was in the polka medley and what was in it was, uh, and it was called Polkas on 45, but not the Polkas on 45 that was on in 3D. Oh. This was uh, this was a couple of years, you know, this was an older polka medley. And this was made up of, again, we were just an L.A. group, kind of, and uh, this was made up of like new wave songs that were on K-Rock radio and that Al listened to and liked and he was being played on K-Rock and, you know, that he thought would appeal to the the people that came to see us. You know, they would be familiar with some of these songs, but it would be like really cool, like putting them together in a, <laughs> in a polka medley. And off the top of my head, I don't remember what was in there, but, but uh, just some very odd stuff. It did actually start with, uh, I think it opened with Jocko Homo by Devo. Oh, cool. and, which is the nice. only is the only thing that actually made it to the real polkas on forty five a couple years later. <laughs> everything everything else changed. Everything else was actually a lot of classic rock, as I recall, in that one. But very interesting. But I, I describe all those songs and and who did them. Should anyone care to look it up? Uh, I told them what was in the food medley at the time. Again, some things that never were really recorded uh, that just appeared, you know, as, as live things, which we did for a while actually on tour. Uh, we would play stuff in, in the shows that didn't appear on records, you know, things that Al had written, maybe a verse and a chorus to, and that was all it needed, and, and it would end up in a medley. Yeah. And I also I also explain what the big brouhaha was about uh, 
being kind of like booed a lot at that show. And there's another piece that's in there as well, uh, in addition to, to that set list. There's a copy of the front page of our 1983 tour itinerary, the uh, first tour we did, and it was with Dr. Demento. And uh, I, I went through and I wrote a little piece about, about uh, that tour, about those dates on the back of that sheet as well. And in doing so, I thought, you know, I wonder, you know, this is almost 40 years ago, you know, it's 39 years ago. I wonder how many of these places are still around, hmm. you know, and, and, and hosting music. And like half of them were. Wow. Surprisingly. Oh, I just, cool. you know, now the bottom line in New York City is gone and, and you know, some of them are gone. But uh, I think the Park West in Chicago is still hosting music. Toad's Place in New Haven is still open. I, there were, hmm. I, I was really surprised. I think out of, out of a dozen or whatever it was, I think five or six of them are still in business. Um, there were, there was, in, in looking at that, there was something I had forgotten that, that uh, Dr. Demento came into town earlier and did, I guess, was on David Letterman before the tour even started. So he's listed on there. Wow. Uh, but it's just, it's very interesting. And it's on, uh, Jay Levy uh, was Al's manager at the time. And, and uh, oh, he's still Al's manager. But he was his, his manager then. Uh, he was also the tour manager on that tour. He, he uh, wow. took us out. And he was Dr. Demento, Dr. Demento's manager as well. So, you know, the six of us, he, Dr. Demento, and Al and the three of us, me, Jim, and Steve, uh, went out on that first tour. So the, the uh, itinerary was printed on Jay's letterhead. Uh, his, his company, his management was called Jay Levy Associates. And so it's printed and it's kind of a buff colored sheet, which I think they, uh, I think they, they printed it on a buff color sheet with a little orange swatch under the name. And you know, it looks, <laughs> it looks very much like the original looks. And it's got those dates on there. It's got the, uh, uh, if there was any radio station promotion, it's got that listed on there. I mean, it's just a very cool piece you know, awesome. from the day. So, so all these, you know, very cool little extra things in, in this uh, uh, box set, which is, again, 50% more photos, extra goodies. Uh, the cover is different. Very, very uh, fun cover. And it doesn't appear, the photo doesn't appear in the book. Uh, it just appears on the box set cover and it's Al at the board like kind of playing with the mixing board in the studio uh, during the Ricky session oh cool and it was just a, a so picture cool. that I took and it's been seen but you know now it's a book cover taken from the negative and it's really <laughs> it's really really cool uh, I'm very glad and and it's one of those pictures you know his face and kind of some of the board and his hand tweaking the knobs on the front cover and then you look at the back cover and it wraps around and you can see basically the the backside of Al I mean you know you can see his back and you know so if you were to open up the book and see the back cover and the front cover together you would see one big photo that's so fun so so that's kind of a cool thing and the box set was only four dollars more than the one from black and white weird <laughs> all over you know with, with all of <laughs> this extra stuff in it and the x it's only four dollars more I don't know you know how they how they do it but <laughs> Oh, that's right. They took they took it out of my cut. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 very very cool. This is really it's all about the fans, and it was you know it was just not about you know gouging them. It's like well, fifty percent more photos. Let's charge fifty percent more for the book. No, it's not about that. We you know we want everyone to buy this and uh, you know and to enjoy it and and to get a little bit more for their money uh, this time around. And uh, you know it's. Honestly, at this point, I have not seen a physical book. 
but I know it's going to look and feel great, and I know the pictures are just going to pop off the page. And uh, well, we sort of say that in the in the subtitle. It says "eye popping photographs," so I'm really <laughs> counting on them. I'm counting on some <laughs> ocular uh, damage from some of the fans. I, I expect some lawsuits. So, I was looking at your book, and my eyes popped out. Oh my god! Nice book, though. Uh, here's a subpoena. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's really incredible. Lights, Camera, Accordion. You can pre-order it now. You can head over to 1984publishing.com. You can pre-order it on Amazon.com. And November 15th just can't come fast enough. I'm so excited for this book. Thanks so much for all that pretty stinking majestic information about the brand new book, Lights, Camera, Accordion, Eye-Popping Photographs of Weird Al Yankovic, 1981 through 2006. Now, last we saw... Amazingly, there were still a few deluxe box sets available for pre-order on 1984publishing.com. So do not wait. These are limited and sure to be pretty stinking majestic and highly collectible. So go get yours right now. And incredibly, it will ship internationally. Dave, I told you we could have moved to Chilliwack without worrying about this deluxe book. Well, another missed opportunity on our part. And just a reminder, this coming Friday, August 5th, Weird Al voices the character of Vic Vanko and sings a new song called Scarif Beach Party in Lego Star Wars Wars Summer Vacation on Disney+. Plus. We are so excited to see this and hear the new song. Also, Ethan, I am so excited to hear all about your Weird Al-related adventures in the Lego store at the Mall of America. Well, Dave, you can hear all about it in our ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episode 28 centimeter... And if you forgot about our visit to the Biggest Ball of 20 Minnesota and the rest of Darwin, Minnesota, you can check that out on Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Bonus Episode 27 Centimeter. Well, that's good to know, but what if I also forgot about going to see Weird Al in Minneapolis on my birthday as well? Well, Dave, that's Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Bonus Episode 29 Centimeter. All right, but how am I supposed to listen to them? Well, first you need to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash 2000inch. Then you need to wait for our intern Frank to post them. That all sounds wonderful, but what if I'm, you know, frugal? Well, Dave, your frugality means you'll have to wait even longer to hear those pretty stinking majestic episodes. Ooh, I'm not liking that even longer thing. Well, I think I'm going to sign up for Patreon today just to be safe. Sounds like a plan. While you're there, you can currently listen through episode 26 centimeter. Plus, you can watch a video I shot of the show, which was requested by a member of the band. And coming up this weekend, we hope to add even more ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episodes to our lists as this Friday, August 5th, Ethan will be attending the concert at Indian Ranch in Webster, Massachusetts. That's right, Dave. Then I join back up with you and Jackie and we head to Amish country to see the two sold out shows at the American Music Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, Ethan, have you ever been to the American Music Theater? No, I've never been to Lancaster, I don't think. Ooh, well, the last few times I was there, Weird Al played Amish Paradise, so I'm really hoping he does it again so you can experience hearing Amish Paradise in the heart of Amish country. It is one of those experiences that should be on any Weird Al fan's checklist, you know, like hearing Smells Like Nirvana in Seattle or The Biggest Ball of Twine in Minnesota in Minnesota. Or Hardware Store at my local Home Depot. Exactly! 
Well, if you'll be at any of the shows this weekend, please stop by and say hello. We would love to give you some stickers and even give you one of our brand new shiny wooden nickels. Well, those wooden nickels aren't quite as shiny as the foil at Burrito Burrito. This episode is brought to you in part by vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hunger with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food, always vegan style. Visit BurritoSquared.com and WizardBurger.com to order ahead. All right, let's move on to this episode's interview. Well, Ethan and I are very excited for so many reasons to talk to our guest this episode. He recently co-wrote and directed the film We're the Al Yankovic Story, starring Daniel Radcliffe, coming this November 4th to the Roku channel. But before that, he's also the person behind the viral 2010 Funny or Die trailer by the same name, starring Aaron Paul. And he's a great friend of the podcast, and it is our extreme honor to welcome Eric Appel to the podcast. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? I'm I'm uh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I've listened to like so many episodes of this. I'm excited to finally get to talk to you guys. Wow, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, we're so thrilled to have you here, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. And you know, before we even talk about the film with Daniel Radcliffe, there's so much to to cover with the trailer, but also your career. So I don't know where we should start. Maybe uh, I assume you're a Weird Al fan. Is that accurate? <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I mean, yeah, I've been a Weird Al fan for, um, as, as long as I can remember. I mean, my, uh, I think my mom is the one that showed me the Eat It video. I mean, p- probably the year that it came out. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and yeah, I've been, uh, I've been a fan ever since. Like, you know, whenever, uh, Al had a video that came out on MTV. I was a little too young to buy albums then because, um, you know, I was born in 1980. But uh, but I was just a, a, I loved every single video that came out. I think I was in maybe second grade when Fat came out, which was like huge. All the kids <laughs> in my class were talking about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I made my, uh, my grandpa took me to go see UHF opening weekend Whoa. in 1989. Oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which uh, which was like my all-time favorite movie uh, when I saw it. Um, it just totally blew me away. Um, and uh, the, the first album that I, uh, that I bought on cassette tape was Off the Deep End. That was like, that was the first album that I like really became obsessed with. I think maybe I was in sixth grade wow. um, at the time. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I had every single word to every song memorized <laughs> and, um, <laughs> just was, uh, yeah. you know, constantly, uh, yeah. Making all my friends listen to weird Al and, and yeah, I was just like very weird Al obsessed. <laughs> it's funny when the movie, um, when our movie got announced, I got some, you know, Instagram, uh, direct messages from people that I grew up with. Uh, people that I went to elementary school with, and they were like, "Oh my God, could you imagine telling sixth grade you that you're going to make this movie with Weird Al?" <laughs> oh man, I can't even. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. That's just, oh uh, wow. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I taped. I, I, I was also obsessed with, um, with his, with Al's MTV takeovers. Um, Al, Al TV. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I want to say I was like homesick or something for one of them, and just like spent twenty four hours watching, uh, watching Al TV. And I, uh, and I like, t- I taped them on VHS tapes, and I would like rewatch them. And oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I used to. I was a kid that I used to like tape with a cassette tape. I used to, um, I used to like record the TV and just like try to memorize the things people were saying. I used to do it with Saturday Night Live too. <laughs> oh wow! Just like oh wow! Yeah, like record s- sketches and like listen back to them. <laughs> so you're a uh, you know Weird Al fan. You're a SNL fan at a young age. When did you actually start working on comedy? When did you? do comedy yourself yeah so um you know growing up i i i had my parents had a video camera um when i was really young and um i would make you know shorts and 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 little films in the woods with my friends um (laughs) really uh you know, terrible little movies that I would force people to watch. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I would also make movies by myself. I would make little uh, uh, films by myself with my action figures and like walk them around uh, <laughs> almost like a third person video game. Like I'd hold the action figure in the foreground of the shot <laughs> and like oh, make, wow. make little movies where like my, my like Ninja Turtles were like trying to um, capture my cat. <laughs> like oh, stupid little movies like that. Um, but uh, uh, when I was in college, I, I went to school. Um, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh for um, animation. I, 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 wanted, I was also obsessed with Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead, and, <laughs> um, and, and oh, yeah. you know wanted to uh, wanted to be an animator for a bit there. Uh, but when I got when I got to college, I I, I kind of realized that that work wasn't for me. Like I I like working in groups and I like working with people. And being an animator, you're just kind of uh, you know it's 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 a lonely job <laughs> where you're just kind of slaving over a computer or drawing board all day long. And just um, the work can be a little monotonous for someone with a brain that functions like mine. Um, mm-hmm. So I was uh, uh, I was dating a girl at the time who uh, was a Pittsburgh local, and she told me about this show called Friday Night Improv, um, which was uh, this improv comedy show, sort of like short-form improv, whose line is it anyway type stuff. Um, And it was at the University of Pittsburgh. It was in the basement of the Cathedral of Learning every Friday night. And the way that the show worked was anyone in the audience could raise their hand uh, to, like, play these improv games. Wow. And suddenly you're like up on stage in front of, you know, a couple hundred college kids. Um, oh, wow. Huh. And I kind of dove right into that. I mean, I was very nervous and very terrible at doing improv, but um, but I would go every week, mostly watch, sometimes get up. And, uh, you know, I met a group of, of uh, like-minded friends. We formed our own little improv group on the side. And my focus started to shift from, you know, what I was studying in school to just doing comedy with people and doing improv with people and making up funny stuff. And, you know, we all kind of read the same comic books and watched the same movies. And after I graduated school, I, I had heard about the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City, um, which, which this theater w- was just sort of starting to take off. 
And after school, I moved to New York and started doing um, improv. I took, you know, took improv classes at, at UCB. And, you know, within the next three years, I was, you know, performing weekly on like a house improv team. And, you know, some of the people that like I came up with in my classes, um, Ellie Kemper, Zach Woods, Ben Schwartz, wow. Adam Pally. Um, yeah, the teachers were, you know, Rob Riggle and Paul Shear and, and <laughs> uh, yeah, all, all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rob Cordry and Ed Helms was performing there at the time. And wow. um, Amy Poehler had like just got on Saturday Night Live. So I was in this like amazing incubator for comedic minds. Um, and that's sort of where everything started for me. Like I, um, do you remember a show called the Andy Milanakis show? It was on MTV. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So there was this, uh, uh, Andy Milanakis, um, and I met in level one improv class. Um, we were in like an improv practice group together that was put together by this guy, Mark Lee, who was the um, organ player for the New York Knicks. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> randomly. Oh, okay. uh, you know, in the early days at the UCB theater, a lot of random folks came through and took classes and got really into it. And, um, yeah. So we, uh, we, we were in this improv group together and then, uh, me and Andy and my friend Brian Getz, who was a high school friend of mine who was interning at Late Night with Conan O'Brien um, at the time, we all uh, got an apartment together in Queens. And then Andy was making these internet videos. Um, and this is pre-YouTube. Um, yeah. He was, I can't remember where he was putting them on. Um, there's a writer, Brian Lynch, um, he wrote like the Secret Life of Pets movies and Minions. <laughs> he was um, he had a he had a, a online comic called Angry Naked Pat, and there was a uh, <laughs> there was like a, a forum uh, for that uh, that Andy would like post videos to, and um, it was all sort of like it was on the fringes of like the Kevin Smith online world. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, Andy was posting all these videos. He got discovered um, by Jimmy Kimmel randomly saw a video and then flew Andy out to like be on Jimmy Kimmel Live, um, which was like such a huge deal. And then started flying him around uh, the country to do like remote bits on the show. Like he would go to the uh, NBA All-Star game and do like man on the street interview type stuff. Um, and eventually Andy called me one day and he was like out, out in Los Angeles. And he said, I'm uh, Jimmy Kimmel wants me to stay here and like, <laughs> wa wants to develop a show with me. So he like helped me get an apartment. And um, so I'll pay you for the next two months rent. But like my dad's going to come like pick all my stuff up. And I'm like, guess I'm moving to LA. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> all right. Well, this, this is how it happens. I guess. I don't know. Um, because, I mean, I grew, I, I grew up in uh, upstate New York. Um, I have no one in my family is, like, in the film business. It just felt like such a foreign, weird, unattainable thing. I never in a million years thought that I would be doing what I do now when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved movies, and, of course, I would have loved to direct and, and write. Um, but it just seemed like such an unattainable goal that I didn't even bother. I kind of fell into the position that I was in. Um, 
But anyway, so Andy moved out. He developed this MTV show. Um, they came back to New York, shot a pilot for it. Um, MTV picked it up. And um, yeah, I was like, if you're, you know, are you looking for right? Andy and I would, you know, used to write sketches together and stuff at UCB. So I asked him if I could, you know, can I write for your show? And he's like, well, maybe you have to like submit a packet. And <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> right. um, so he sent me like a sample, a writing sample from one of the other writers that had been hired and like sort of the, um, you know, a list of the different types of bits that you'd have to write. You know, you'd have to write like three pages of like sketch ideas and, and, you know, man on the street ideas for Andy to do. And, um, anyway, I, I, I did a packet and I, I got brought onto the show as a, like a consultant writer. So it's like, you know, we'll pay you to come in maybe a couple days a week and like pitch ideas. But one of the main writers, um, Dan Mintz, who's like on Bob's Burgers and everything. Yeah. Dan Mintz, who's like a wildly popular comedian and writer now. <laughs> yeah. Um, he he was a writer on the show, and he was leaving to go write for um, Louis C.K.'s HBO show, Lucky Louie. And I got bumped up to like full time um, full time staff writer. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I did 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 that show for a few seasons. Um, Is that where you met Jonah Ray? Yes. Okay. On season two of the Andy Milanakis show, Jonah Ray was the writer's assistant. Um, so, so yeah, that's where I met Jonah. Um, and then after the season ended, um, I came, I went out to LA to visit. Um, I had never been to the West coast before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was thinking about maybe relocating and moving there cause there was more job opportunities. Um, so I, I stayed on Jonah Ray's couch when I came to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and learned very quickly that Jonah was such, like, a man about town who, like, everyone knew. Mm -hmm. Like, he's such a social butterfly. Like, every, everyone knew Jonah Ray. So I, I showed up, and I didn't know that I was, like, staying at the, you know, sleeping on the couch of, like, the most well-known man in California. <laughs> <laughs> I just like met so many people and like, you know, I, we probably went and saw a band or two and went to some weird stand up shows. And, um, yeah, he took me to this place called sunken city in San Pedro, which is like this, uh, uh, this big stretch of road that like sunk down into the ocean during like a landslide. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I had a great time, uh, hanging with him and, and, uh, yeah, we, we remained friends, uh, through the years and you know work together on some other stuff um but yeah yeah that's where I, that's where i met jonah that's amazing who would eventually be in the uh, in, in in the trailer for the movie that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so after uh uh after the andy milanakis show um it was produced by jimmy kimmel and uh and and jimmy's brother john kimmel ran the show um they were also doing another season of Cranky Anchors. Um, it was moving from Comedy Central to MTV2, and um, they knew that I wanted to move to L.A., so um, they offered me a job writing for, writing for Cranky Anchors because it would dovetail right into the third season of The Andy Milanaka Show, which was also um, which was relocating to L.A. So, um, so I, I got to move move to Los Angeles with like six months of solid work in front of me 
um, which was, which was great. Oh, that's nice. it, yeah. You know, allowed me to get an apartment and, you know, um, well, I wasn't making that much money on, you know, these right. MTV two shows, but, uh, but it got, right. you know, it was enough to get me a small apartment and, and, uh, and sort of get me on my feet. But I, I want to ask you about Crank Yankers while we're here in the conversation because sure. that was a show that absolutely, you know, was one of my all-time favorites when I was a kid growing up. Like Crank Yankers was one of my like big comedy influence shows and I'm really curious how that process worked with how do you write for that or you know what is the process of actually creating that show so it was um oh so incredibly fun um the writer's room there was maybe five of us in in a little room um and we would just spend all day coming up with prank call concepts um (laughs) and we and we also we had on our desks phone books from like different states and we were encouraged to like make prank calls and try our ideas <laughs> oh, <no>. out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so wow. imagine like getting to go to work and like make prank phone calls. Like that's almost as cool as telling sixth grade me that you'd work with Weird Al someday. It's like <laughs> you're yeah. also gonna make prank phone calls for your job. Um, so yeah, we would come up and and you know oftentimes we would be told like what comedians we would be recording with. Um, so we would tailor the ideas to them or their characters that were already established on the show. Okay. Um, and we would just, yeah, I mean, we'd just, just spend all day like writing dozens of, of <laughs> ideas. Those would get whittled down. Um, those would get whittled down to like the, the best of, um, you know, and then we would, we would get assigned, um, you know, here's what this prank calls me. This guy's going to call a tattoo shop and he's going to ask for a, a crazy tattoo and we would basically have to write up a bunch of options for the comedian depending on like what direction the call may go in so okay. when so so when when the comedian making the call would eventually um uh when we'd get into the recording studio to do that um they would have you know whichever call they decided to make they would have all these different options for like directions to take the call in front of them sample lines things they could say you know funny just areas to bring it in and and um (laughs) and in the room and 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 the writers uh were also in the room with the comedian when they were making the call and we had little dry erase boards on our laps (laughs) and we would all we were all wearing headphones and listening to you know listening to the calls it's happening and uh and we would like quickly jot down ideas, you know, and, and so like the call would be going really good. And then everyone's just furiously writing and like holding up these, <laughs> holding up these little dry erase boards. And the comedian that's on the call is like trying to read them all while still having the conversation. Right. And they're like, you know, then, then they point to the one they want. And then we're like, we all crane our necks and look at it. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. That's where he's taking it. Let's, let's, and we're just trying to, yeah. And it was great. Like my, you know, my, my improv background, um, my improv background really helped that, you know, just like seeing an idea start to blossom and expanding on it and, you know, um, seeing where we could take it and, and just that, like the free exploration that I sort of learned, um, you know, in, in all my improv training, but it was, so, I mean, sometimes it was so hard not to, 
ruin the call by laughing. <laughs> I remember we did one. Um, there, there was one one call we did with Robert Smigel. Um, Robert oh, wow. Smigel came in and he, and he played this Israeli, this old Israeli guy calling a um, travel agency, and it was the simplest. Sometimes the simplest concepts are are the most funny. Oftentimes, yeah. Um, and his the the bit that his character did was just that he would do these long pauses while he was talking, where he would just go, uh, <laughs> like in the middle of a sentence, like I need to uh, I need to fly to uh, Tel Aviv, <laughs> and and. And like the longer the, like the lo- I'm, I, I almost can't even talk about it. The, the longer the call would go, the longer those is would. Go. Like, <laughs> and and uh, and it was, I mean, to the it was the funniest thing I've ever see, heard in my life. I mean, b- being in the room for it, and and uh, you know, the longer these things would go on, we had. I, I you looked around and you saw writers with like their their shirts were pulled up over their faces and they were covering. <laughs> one of the writers I looked over, he had his shirt over his face and he was covering his ears and, sh- and shaking. <laughs> like like being, being in that room, I remember it was like, I was actively, we were actively trying to not hear what was happening because it was too funny. We're like, we, this is going to be ruined. That's crazy. But yeah, that's basically and 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 that's that that's like phase that's phase one of that show. You know, is is that process for making all those calls, and then um, and then there's like a whole. Then they go into like filming the puppets, which is a whole other thing. Then 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 your job turns into writing puppet action and funny things for the puppets to do and funny posters to be on the walls and like right. you know all of those all of those um, the billboards little. And- yeah the billboards and and you know there was jokes in the credits there was um it was just so so joke heavy um that it was just yeah spending just all day writing like visual (laughs) gags and you know there's things that are like on both sides of the call when they do it with the puppets there's there's funny things that are happening in the background right um uh and yeah you're you're just writing all that stuff um and then you get to watch all these amazing puppeteers film it. Um, all these, all these yeah. people that work on like Sesame Street and the Muppets and stuff, <laughs> cutting <laughs> loose and doing like you know more uh, 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 TV MA um, <laughs> right <laughs> uh, puppeteering. But yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a great experience. As a writer on the show, do you like did did you end up with any of the puppets? Did you get any kind of stuff from the show like that? No, I didn't end up with any. I was so, I mean, that was like my first job in Los Angeles. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. like, I was so low on the totem pole. Um, I, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to take anything. Um, I didn't get a puppet, you know, writers that were there for multiple years, like got puppets made of them that ended oh, up on the show. And wow. then, then, you know, oh, then, cool. then maybe they would get to take home at the end of it. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then after that, a- after Cranky Anchors, I um, I wrote for uh, Human Giant, which was a, a sketch show with with Paul yeah. Shear and Rob Hubel and and Aziz Ansari. So I wrote for season two of that show, which was great because it was a lot of old you know um, friends from from UCB, and 
and also I got to write with like other writers that I admired. Um, John Glazer, um, who I was like a huge fan of from, um, you know, he wrote for late night with Conan O'Brien for years and, Mm -hmm. you know, did all these sketches on that show. Um, I got to write with him and Leo Allen and Andy Blitz and, and, uh, I think uh, Brian Posehn came in. The, uh, they split the writing between Los Angeles and New York. So when they were writing in New York, all the guest writers that would come on and consult were like, you know, people from the world of like late night, the late night shows in New York. And in LA, it was like people from the Mr. Show world, yeah. <laughs> which was, which was awesome too. Other things that I was, all, all things that I was huge fans of. Um, and human giant is what, um, got me in the door at Funny or Die. Okay. Um, ah. So I finished up writing for um, for for Human Giant, and uh, this guy, Owen Burke, who was a UCB guy from back in the day and was in an improv group with, with Hubel and, and Shear, um, he, uh, he was a um, executive at Gary Sanchez um, Productions, which is Will Ferrell and Adam McKay's um, production company. At the time, Funny or Die had only been around for uh, maybe just about a year. Um, it was a very experimental site at first. They had just hired like a new CEO and decided that they wanted to start, you know, really expanding um, the site. So uh, they hired me to come on as the senior writer. Uh, Owen had, um, you know, seen my Human Giant stuff, and obviously he knew me from UCB and. Um, he told uh, Shear and Hubel that he was, you know, that they were looking for someone to sort of come be like just a writer with a little bit more TV experience to come in and, uh, and, and work at funny or die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I got hired as a senior, senior writer. And uh, you know, when I got there, I didn't know what senior writer meant. I thought it was going to kind of be like a TV show and I'd be like running a writer's room, but it was very, that, that working there, it was such an amazing place. It was very, very loose, very free. You can kind of just do whatever you want. It wasn't like a writer's room where everyone sat around and pitched on the same idea. Everyone just kind of worked independently on their own stuff. Um, we were all together so we could ask each other's opinions or like, hey, do you have any jokes you could add to this? Or what do you think of this? But it was very independent. Everyone, everyone, you know, worked on their own projects. And hmm. I used that as an opportunity to start teaching myself how to direct and and directing my own uh videos that i would write so i bought some i bought some cinematography books and uh you know just to like learn learn the rules Mm -hmm. i going to school for anime i was already a very visual thinker and and going to school for animation i um you know, I, I, I knew how to storyboard and I, I, I sort of, I knew editing and I knew how things were put together. Um, so yeah, I just, I just sort of picked up a camera and, and, and started, uh, started figuring out how to do it on my own, figuring out how to light things. Um, you know, how, how, how sound worked, all that, all that <laughs> just it was very DIY. We were such a small ragtag group of people. There was a couple, uh, there were like a couple of folks there that, um, you know, w- sort of worked in that department that could, that could help you out. Um, but everybody wore many hats, like the editor would also film things. And, um, you know, uh, there was another editor that did like VFX stuff a little bit and, and, you know, could help 
with lighting and um over the next couple of years I just started um uh you know my stuff got better and better and you know I started getting the opportunity to not just make movies or not just make sketches with friends of mine um who who like some some of them have now become famous right. <laughs> but they weren't at the t- yeah. weren't at the time um but I got to start working with like the celebrity talent um I think the first big celebrity video I did that hit was this like Lindsay Lohan I did this video with Lindsay Lohan <laughs> where um and it was like during her um it was during like a real tough meltdown time for her where she was like on the cover of every magazine for her like drinking and drug problems and all that yeah and okay she wanted she wanted to do something that sort of um i don't know not not poked fun at it but sort of showed a bit of self-awareness um yeah so we pitched her an idea to do this um match.com commercial where she's like talking about her like here's what I'm looking for, like her dating profile. <laughs> and it was like, and, and, and in, within this framework, it was, it looked like a commercial for match.com. Um, uh, it had like the same music behind it and everything. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's sort of her doing her version of, uh, you know, I like long walks on the beach, but you know, she's saying like, I like, uh, crashing my car on the, it's like all all that kind of stuff and it and it it uh so i we we shot it i shot it with her um and i i edited it myself like that night and we put it out the following day and it got five mil got like five million views online yeah wow (laughs) and all of a sudden i was like uh having to talk to this publicist they're like all right access hollywood wants to come talk to you uh, the director of this, <laughs> this video and, and I'm having to do all these interviews where like the entertainment media is clearly trying to get me to throw Lindsay Lohan under the bus and talk about like, you know, the, they're like, so was she late? Uh, did she have her, like, did she have her lines memorized? It was like that kind of stuff. Um, was she drunk? You know, did right. she smell like booze? Um, and yeah, so my, my job was to just kind of go out there and say, no, we had so much fun doing it, which is true. <laughs> yeah, we did. We had a great time. Um, she was lovely. Uh, but yeah, after that, um, yeah, I, I start, I started getting to do, you know, more, more high profile celebrity videos. Um, you know, and then I got into making these fake movie trailers, which, which is really yeah. where uh, where I feel like I shined <laughs> the most for the first time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there is one movie trailer we do want to ask you about. But before we get there, I wanted to sure. ask about um, you did American Contestant with Bob Odenkirk. And uh, Dave and I are big Bob Odenkirk fans, so I'd love to just hear about that process. Well, we need to stop the interview right there. Oh, man. I was hoping we'd talk to Eric about the upcoming movie, Weird, the Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe and available starting November 4th on the Roku channel. Well, hopefully we ask him about it on the next episode. Oh, sounds like we've got a message on the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Ooh, I bet it's our good friend UH Jeff Nucera calling in and finally going to give his review of the Weird Al pinball machine. 
Dave and Ethan, hi, it's UH Jeff. I'm just, uh, I know I owe you guys a review of the Weird Al pinball machine, but if you can believe it, I'm still stuck in traffic on my way there. LA is just a nightmare. Anyway, uh, wanted to call and wish Dave Rossi a very, very happy birthday. Hope you guys are enjoying yourselves at the Twine Ball. I was hoping to make it out there and sort of surprise you guys, but again, just a ton of traffic here in LA. Bye bye. Oh, how sweet, Jeff. Well, thank you very much for the birthday wishes. But you know what gift I would really love? I'd really love if you could finally send us that review of the Weird Al pinball machine. Dave, that's so insensitive. Jeff's been stuck in traffic all this time, and all you care about is his review of some some pinball machine. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much for the wonderful call. Well, sounds like we got yet another spatula voicemail. Hey there, Dave and Ethan. It's your old pal Chris, the cartoon-loving geek from Canada here. Well, I can tell by the old collectible hooded Avenger clock on the wall that you guys asked me to take care of for you while you're out busy seeing Al's Vanity Tour concerts that once again it's time for... Dave's birthday. Happy birthday, Dave, old buddy. Say, uh, listen... You remember how I told you last time that I ordered something special from you online? Well, uh, don't ask me how, but it turns out your item suffered a fate similar to Ethan's gift. Yeah, um, I got an email saying that the plane carrying your gift crashed into the Pacific Ocean and is now most likely a chew toy for a shark. And yep, it too was the last one in stock. Seriously, why do these things always have to happen to me? Oh, well, don't worry. I kind of had a weird feeling that this sort of thing might happen again. So, I took the liberty of drawing your birthday gift, too. So you can kind of get a rough idea what it would have looked like when it arrived on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah, I know it's not the same thing. But, much like Ethan's gift, I want you to know that I meant well. And I still hope that you like it. You know what, I'm thinking maybe next year I'll play it safe and just get you guys a couple of gift certificates to the Rocky Road Manufacturing Plant in Albuquerque. Actually, I hear they have a really nice museum exhibit on the history of ice cream containers. Well, anyways, that being said, Dave, you have yourself a happy birthday. Dave and Ethan, enjoy those concerts, and I'll see you guys next time. Oh, and uh, Frank, if you're listening in the background there, no, you're still not getting a birthday gift from me. And I don't care if you've opened up your very own sanctuary for rare albino frog boys. That does not excuse you from the fact that you went and bought yourself a Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Joe Dirt. I mean, really, Frank? Of all the movies you could have picked at a Walmart, you picked that one? I'm sorry, I can't even look at you anymore, man. God. Wow, Chris, thank you for the amazing birthday message. But what are the chances that my birthday gift would suffer the same cruel fate as Ethan's? And Joe Dirt on Blu-ray Combo Pack? Really, Frank? Really? Ah, you disgust me, Frank. Well, Chris, this drawing sure makes up for the unfortunate demise of my actual physical birthday gift. Oh, I absolutely love this drawing. My very own Super Ultra Mega Hyper Tattoo Applicator Series XL. Aw, oh, Chris, you shouldn't have. What a great drawing. It, it's very futuristic. It's got a drawing of Boba Fett, and it's got a screwdriver and needles. Oh, Dave, we should totally post this over on group.2000inch.com so everyone can see it. And Chris, it's almost like you were there when I was getting my Weird Al tattoos. This machine looks almost exactly like the one that my tattoo artist uses. 
This is a special hamster alert to the Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast broadcast alert system, sponsored by Jack Bateman. To care for a hamster is to be one with the hamster. Oh no, is this another hamster tip? Of course! If you find yourself in possession of a hamster, you must think like a hamster. Be a hamster! And how do you propose you do this? Well, I'm not proposing you dress like a hamster and stuff nuts and seeds in your mouth, because I assume someone with a hamster has already taken those steps. Obviously. What I am proposing is to truly understand the hamster. You must understand what they are all about. Uh, I think I know what you mean. Like, where did the name hamster even come from? Yes, yes. That is a great question. This will help you take care of them. You don't know what the answer is, do you? No, I uh, just, uh, let's see, give me a yes. Ah, (laughs) hamster comes from the German word hamstern. So they just dropped the N? Yep. That is all for this week's special hamster alert via the Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast broadcast alert system. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely positively free thanks to our incredible sponsors Burrito Burrito, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and Jack Bateman. Our podcast is also supported by everyone else in our Patreon family with special thanks to our amazing close personal friend level Patreon supporters, Adriana, Allison, Blair, Matthew, Mike, Rim Jams, Jared and Rocky, Javier, Nancy, NES Josh 64, Gus and Alicia, Jake, UH Jeff, Kenneth, Scott, Zeb, and also thanks to Tom Dog and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly, wonderful, wild, and wacky Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are really, really awesome benefits like getting your name on the podcast, your very own private RSS feed with access to all of our ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episodes, and access to secret episodes. And now would be a really, really good time to join if you have not already, because you will be the very first to hear those unfortunate return of the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised Vanity Tour concert review bonus episodes. And don't forget to check out our official merchandise over at shop.2000inch.com. Now, we all know the unfortunate return of the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised Vanity Tour is well underway, So what better time to order the gift of Dave and Ethan than right now? You could even get a Discover Darwin shirt for your hamster. Well, we love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, so join our Facebook community and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com as well as our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al-related conversations. You can find both of those linked over on our website, plus we also love it when we receive voicemail via our official patent-pending 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline. That number is 347-SPATULA. Give it a call, and you might even hear your message in a future episode. Be sure to visit WeirdOutPodcast.com or 2000inch.com for everything about our podcast, including incredible past episodes and guests. And while you're there, click on Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Bonus Episodes to follow along with our adventures on tour. Or click on Black and White and Weird All Over Bonus Episodes for our special bonus episode book series where author John Bermuda Schwartz walks us through his first book, page by page and picture by picture. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews on your favorite podcast app. 
Make sure that you are subscribed so that you are the very first to hear any breaking headline news and make sure you stay subscribed because not only does it help the podcast, it moistens the crackers that which you are attempting to consume. Thank you once again to this episode's guest, Eric Appel, as well as John Bermuda Schwartz for his special appearance. We also want to thank UH Jeff Nucera, Chris Sear, the cartoon-loving geek from Canada, Zeb Lemke, 1984 Publishing, and Sylvia. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song, and thank you to Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thanks to all of you, our loyal listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2008's Weird Al podcast. And until next time, take some wooden nickels and remember to gill and chill. Be sure to tune in to the next episode so you can hear part two of our pretty stinking majestic interview with the amazing director and writer, Eric Appel. That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast, episode 166-inch. Seriously, please take a wooden nickel!